Hello, Rich Bolas here. A big thank you for downloading the Dad Mindset Podcast, where we explore different perspectives on fatherhood with the aim of becoming less bad at being a dad. This episode, I interview Aaron Lutus. Aaron, father of two, goes into all sorts of topics from the similarities between training dogs and raising kids to after-dinner board games and his insights on renewable energy and how it's shaping the future. I hope you really enjoy this chat with Aaron. Aaron Lutus, welcome to the show. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having us on. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And, you know, it's we chatted about this, I think, back in January when we were camping at uh, Wilson's Prom, and, and uh, time's just flown since then. Yeah, yep, yep. Family, kids. <laughs> yep. Work. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, how are you doing at the moment? I'm going all right. Um, as you can see, I've uh, just had a, a knee operation uh, about a week ago and had a knee reconstruction. Wow. So I'm hobbling around a bit. I mean, you're doing really well. You were flying around earlier, but uh, you do look like the bionic man. <laughs> yeah, I've got my Robocop knee brace on here. Um, and yeah. it, it's feeling pretty good, though? Yeah, it's it's been pretty good considering I'm a week out. Um, I'm walking. I've got some crutches. It's down the beach this morning with Ruby at Nippers. So, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, I'm getting around, <laughs> making it work. How, how did you actually do it? Um, surfing injury. I, I did the splits. Um come down off a wave and back foot slipped off the board and front foot stayed on the board. And, oh, and just uh, caught in the wave. Yep, kept going, yeah. And uh, all my force was, my weight was going down and, yeah, my groin started feeling it and then my knee just sort of popped. Oh, it actually let out that sound. Yeah, some sort of, I knew something had gone wrong, yep. That's not a good sound here. No. And it's so loud, isn't it, because it's inside your body. Yeah, 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 it was pretty painful. A couple of friends helped me. Out of the water and up the stairs, back to the car. Oh, jeez. Mm. Yeah, I mean, how did you go swimming? Like, you were just hanging onto the board? and Oh, I was pretty much in at the beach. I'd sort of gone up on the white water and come down in, into the front of the wave, and um, that's when it happened. Yeah, so I I sort of got washed in. Yep. Wow. But hopefully it'll be mended soon. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I think it's a long road back till I'm back in the water surfing, but you know, as far as uh, walking around, working... Um, I'm normally at an office, you know, office job. So yeah, yeah you know, I can do most things that I need to do. Yeah. It sounded like they did a fair bit of, uh, bit of work in there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They took a bit of my hamstring off and uh, a couple of screws. Uh, yeah. Fixed up my ACL ligament. Yeah. So it was pretty, fairly major surgery. Yeah. Biggest thing I've had to have done anyway. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully you won't have to have it done again. Fingers uh, crossed, not, not on the other leg. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's, no one's keeping score. It's no, <laughs> no, I do hear that a uh, few people that when they've done their ACL, it, it can happen again. Oh, the same, um, same knee, same knee. Yeah, so I just want to be a little bit cautious. I think in my rehab and make sure it's right before I make a return to the surfboard. It's always the hardest thing, though, isn't it? Because towards the end of the re- recuperation, you think you start feeling a bit brave. Oh, it doesn't hurt, it doesn't hurt, and it's still not quite there. But you just don't feel it. And you yeah. just go a bit too hard. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I don't know, another friend of mine had it done a couple of years ago and he's, oh, he must be 18 months to two years down the track from operation. He feels like his knee's about 80% oh, wow. better. So, huh. so it is quite a long journey. Yeah, fair. I'm expecting another six to 12 months. Um, yeah, working on it. Yeah. Wow. 
Okay. Well, um, I'm, I'm sure you'll have plenty of other things to do at the moment because, I mean, tell us about the kids. So you've got two children. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Granger is four. He just turned four last weekend. And Ruby is seven. Yeah. In grade one at, at Torquay College. Yeah. Both, uh, How's that all going? It's good. It's good. Um, yeah, they test us at times, but, you know, and they're both very different people. But, uh, yeah, we, we love them both. and yeah, Definitely going to keep both of them. Keep them both, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although at times, uh, you know, you have second thoughts. Um, you know, I think the the good times outweigh the, the bad times, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and um, tell us a bit about uh, your history before, because you grew up in this area, didn't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Anglesey, uh, so about 10, 15 minutes down the road. And uh, yeah, mum and dad, um, very thankful for the place that they chose for us to grow up. You know, it was great. The ocean's right Pretty there. epic location. Bush is there. Spent a lot of time, you know, banging around the bush on our bikes and exploring Point Road Night, sand dunes, yeah, surfing. Yeah, so... Uh, that's one thing I'm very, very thankful for them. Um, yeah, living living in Anglesey is a great place to grow up. Yeah. And um, you went away for a while, uh, spent a bit of time in Europe, didn't you? Yeah, I spent a few years living overseas. Uh, lived in Edinburgh in Scotland. Uh, lived in Morocco for a few years. And, uh, yeah, I actually met my wife, Holly, when I was in Edinburgh. We both came back about the same time and uh, and that was that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think I've been back for oh, over 10 years now. Um, yeah, come back in 2006. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I got a bit sick of traveling around, living on low budget, um, and wanted to come back and, and do something meaningful, I guess, start a career. Yep. And now your original career was actually in dog training, wasn't it? Or one of your original careers? Yeah, yeah, it uh, feels like another lifetime ago. But uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I did. Um, yeah, do a bit of dog training. I was running a business, uh, training dogs with behavioural problems for a few years. Yeah, which was uh, interesting. Yeah. I can I can imagine it. it's one of the things I wanted to pick your brains on because do you see any crossover between training dogs or fixing behavioural issues with dogs and <laughs> raising kids? Because I've heard loads of people <laughs> mention this. Yeah, look, it's. Uh, I think there are some things that, that correlate, but I think dogs are very different in the way that they think to what humans are. And uh, dogs tend to think in the moment. And part of the way that we would train dogs is, is really if you want to catch them out uh, and help them learn not to do something, you need to catch them in the act of, of doing something. And we used a verbal reprimand, like, bah. Yeah, so catch them totally red-handed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how they would understand. And we used you know, vocal um, um, praise, I guess, to to identify when they're doing good things and um, making the dog start to understand when what's good and what's bad. And, and dogs love attention, almost dogs love attention from their owner. Um, you know, so if you're giving them praise and, and then you're reprimanding, eventually they start making a decision to say, well, I'm not going to do that bad behavior because I'm going to get in trouble and I'll just do the good behavior because they praise, get praise all the time. Um I think kids respond a bit differently. Um, one thing I've certainly found with, with children is, you know, if you start to raise your voice and yell at them, it doesn't necessarily work. Um, I've found if I can keep calm and... Uh, Tell me, how do you do that? <laughs> well, 
with with great trouble and i don't <laughs> i don't think that i'm able to do it all the time it's something that i i try to do but yeah there's still times when i yeah get get frustrated with the kids when grain just hitting ruby with a uh, piece of wood like she, he was before <laughs> yeah we have that too <laughs> yeah, yeah but but so you're saying like keeping calm is obviously a very different um way of dealing with yeah i think it's behavioral um, issues yeah like a with the dogs you're using a verbal reprimand sort of to replicate the the growl that the, the mother would have given um as the dog when the dog was a pup but i i feel like uh if you can keep keep your tone with children uh fairly calm and and you get a better response from them but um i mean there's there's other things i think that are similarities i think dogs tend to be really good readers of body language uh and if you can read the dog's body language you can often preempt things that they're going to do so i think same with kids you know um sometimes if you can get them before they're fully in tantrum mode um and you can short circuit that you know you've got a better chance of getting a response from them yeah redirect yeah right okay Distraction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. totally yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so that's I mean, uh, are there any other things you can think of with dog training at all? Um, I think dogs often, uh, when we used to go around and see a dog, we used to go around and, and see dogs in, in, their, in their homes. And quite often I'd walk in the door and, and see dog showing the behavioural problems like jumping up or barking or whatever it might have been. And after being there for 10 or 15 minutes, a lot of the time you see that the dog's traits are very similar to, to the owner's. Um, so the dog watches, you know, sits around all day watching the owner. If the owner is anxious or stressed, you know, quite often the dog will take on uh, a lot of that anxiety or stress. And I think it's probably similar with with kids. You know, I you know I look at my father and and uh, you know often you find yourself as you grow older doing a lot of things that you used to look at your dad when you were younger, thinking oh, I'll never be like that, and you <laughs> you, you end up you end up doing it and i think kids really they watch what you do and, and they'll do often quite you know try and replicate what you do a lot of the time uh, yeah so they do what you do not what you say exactly yeah, yeah. so i think the importance of being a, a good role model and and practicing what you preach i think is an important part of being a parent yeah yeah and what were your parents like my parents were great very supportive um yeah as i said we grew up in anglesey um Dad was a real estate agent down there, uh, had his own business for 35 years. I think uh, he's been described to me as the most honest man in real estate. He was a pretty straight shooter. Oh, hey. Um, honest sort of guy by the book. Um, but he worked a lot, being a, you know, surf coast in real estate, working yeah, weekends. weekends. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he was um, he was working quite a lot, going back at nights, running his own business with maybe six or eight staff or something down there. Yeah, so mum mum was doing a lot of the taxing around to sports and, and that type of thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they um, they provide us with a lot of opportunities. You know, we tried a lot of different sports, um, you know, basketball, cricket, football. Um, Just yeah. the whole swag. The whole swag, surf life-saving, yeah. Um, yeah, so they there's a lot of opportunities for us and I think, even though I, I think at the time I felt they were quite strict on us and not let it, let us do a lot of things. Yeah. When I reflect on it, you know, we, we got to sort of kick around and go out in the bush and do what we need to do and 
I think sometimes when I was getting back on a school night at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock from, uh, from surfing grinders or something, uh, and, and mum was uh, losing it because she's worried we'd gone missing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can sort of understand. What she's how old would now. you have been at that stage? Oh, I think that would have been high school, maybe, yeah, year nine or ten or something like that, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> I can't even. I I think because a, a couple of friends have said that now that you know when we were younger, you know we'd be off for the whole day, and as long as we were back by dinner time, you know our parents wouldn't know where the heck we were, but they, it didn't seem to phase them. Whereas these days, I mean, yeah. our kids are hardly out of sight. Mm. I mean, in general, you know, and our kids have started walking around to the milk bar and stuff on their own, and. um yeah, some of the people are quite surprised. Oh, wow, you let them go off on their own. And I think back to me at that age, I was totally yep. just away for hours at a time. Mm. It's a totally different world, it feels like. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, it's hard to remember what I was like when I was seven, I guess. But um, like if I'm comparing to Ruby, uh, our oldest now. But I, I certainly think once I got to high school, there was a lot of freedom, you know, to go off and, and do what I need to do, get out of the house. Yeah. Are there, from your parents though, uh, are there any particular things that you can see doing yourself, uh, like from either your dad or your mum? It's a good question. Um, Good traits. Good traits, (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, things like uh, organisational skills from dad. I, I, I think he's a very sort of organised guy. It's probably one thing I've, I've, tried to implement into my life as I've gotten older. Um, I still feel like I've got a long way to go. Though. <laughs> <That's one laughs> those I think we all have. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, w- yeah. Would you have seen him then say at the dining table, uh, at the end of a night, so going through sorting things for the tomorrow, what, what would that look like in a child's eye? Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess, um, yeah, he used to come home, uh, after work, have dinner, and sometimes he would work in the study at home or he would go back to the office. So, yeah, often often seeing some of that. But even just with um, talking about finances and insurances and stuff, even recently, you know, he's um, fairly organised in the way that he, you know, sets up uh, his life. Yeah, yeah. That's a great trait to sort of take on. Uh, what about your mum? Anything that you've sort of taken from her lead on? Um, I'd like to think that I've got elements of creativity in me. Um, mum was a art teacher, a primary school teacher, and yeah, she still does, uh, like a lot of, um, patchwork, um, which is a bit of a thing that she's, she's loved and is it love photography and painting and stuff like that. Um, so is the house just always full of paintings and pictures and photos? Yeah, there was, um, a lot of her paintings, um, and, and photos, I've got some of some of those. Um, yeah, I don't know if there was a lot of that uh, around the house um, so much, but um, yeah, I think she's always had that streak in her, and it's something I enjoyed in in high school. And I think uh, you know, applying that to different aspects of my life, and and now seeing the kids enjoying drawing and stuff, like we spent the morning yesterday sitting around the dining table with Ruby. You know, doing some nice colouring in and, and, and drawings. And it was really, it's really rewarding to see them progressing there and, uh, yeah, and, and wondering where that might end up. Yeah. yeah. It's it's amazing when you just see them 
just wander up and grab some paper and just on their own accord, just starting doodling away and stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I guess technology is such a big thing in our lives these days that, you know, if uh, if you can divert them into doing some other other things like that, using creative side of their brain, you know, it's it's good. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think um, with with the creative side of things as well, you know, arguably the, with future jobs and whatnot, there's there's going to be, I think, even a, a larger focus on, on the arts and that sort of thing. You know, um, as uh, creativity and creative problem solving, I think are going to be uh, some of the most called for things in, in my from my perspective. Yeah, yeah, I think now that we've got uh, the world at our fingertips on on a phone in our hands you know it's uh it's not about remembering facts and and figures is it it's uh it's about how you can apply uh different um things yeah yeah and there's some great sort of um examples of that coming out in schools around the world you know that um not the usual you do an exam you can't actually look at something you can't look something up it's it's no we need to solve this problem we're just going to go about it in the best the most optimum way we can and that involves you know collaborating you know researching everything you've got everything at your disposable at uh, disposal and you certainly have a calculator in your pocket yeah 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 it's um yeah it's it's hard to think about where things are going in you know 15 years or something when ruby's joining the workforce you know, uh, there might be jobs that she's going for that aren't even invented yet, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, technology and, and, and everything is moving so quickly. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to keep up. Yeah, I think we can be sure. I, one of my favorite things to think of is history has taught us that, you know, whatever we think, we're usually wrong anyway. It, 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 I think that there's a great quote of, yeah, whatever we believe to be true is going to be proven to be not true in the future. Yes. So it's a, it's a pretty um, fluid understanding that we have in general. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a tricky business predicting, <laughs> uh, predicting the future. Yeah. 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 What are the things that Ruby's really taken to then at, at school? I mean, you've mentioned about getting into art and so on. Mm, um. I think if I asked Ruby what's her favorite thing, she would be saying uh, writing. You know, she likes writing stories. Um, yeah, and being creative in that in that way. But yeah, she likes art. Um, she likes everything. She comes home saying she's she's really one of those kids that sort of loves loves life. Um, you know, music, Indonesian. You know, a lot of these extracurricular stuff that that they do down there. Uh, yeah, so she's. Yeah, she's pretty open to anything. Um, yeah, sports. Great, and she's just got into nippers as well, hasn't she? Yeah. So the last couple of weeks, uh, she's just been down at Janjuk, uh, under eights, doing doing nippers and yeah, dipping her toe in the water, and she seems to like it. Yeah, yeah, playing a few games and yeah, getting a bit more awareness around around the ocean, a bit more confidence being down down oh, the beach. It's so good, isn't it? That exposure to getting dumped on by waves and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, like the Vic Swim program is really good too. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ruby did that a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. Really it helped boost her confidence definitely in the water because uh, I guess I've been trying it to in- introduce her to surfing and, and sometimes, you know, she's really keen. 
Other times she just wants to go and build a sandcastle on the beach. <laughs> you sort of just got to go with the flow. Yeah. But certainly I think when we did the Vic swim and had someone else take her out in the water and, and wading and uh, diving under waves and stuff, it really gave her a lot of confidence. And, and she's come back and, and a bit more interested in, in, in surfing. Yeah. Just being in the water in general. Yeah. Did you, did you actually try and get her into surfing then or were you just like creating an environment where it was okay for her to have a go? Yeah, I think deep down I've sort of always thought it'd be great if, if Ruby would love love surfing we could share some of those experiences. Um, but I think, yeah, what I've found is it, it doesn't always go to plan. So you, you, I think you've got to give them a little push sometimes. Um, but, you know, a lot of the time if they're not keen, you, you've just got to stand back and say, okay, maybe today is not the day. Let's focus on the sandcastles. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's been quite a few times when just a little nudge to say, hey, Rubes, you want to you wanna go out for a surf? And she's like, oh, no, I'm just playing sandcastle. And then you can say, well, come on, why don't we just go and get a couple of waves and then you can come back in. And she'll come out for a couple of waves and go back in and play sandcastle. And, yeah, just a – Just an extra step down the, the track. Because yeah, yeah. she was loving it at Christmas, wasn't she, when we were down at Wilson's Prom? Yeah, yeah. I think – that really helps too. If there's a couple of other kids there doing the same thing, you know, um, she's you know enjoying a laugh with with some mates. It's different to just sort of one on one with dad. Yeah, yeah, a bit more, a bit more fun. I think if there's other kids involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so this year, there's um, so not Wilson's prom. Uh, where are we heading off? Oh, we're going to Mount Buffalo this year. Yeah. Thanks ever so much for organising that, Aaron. You're a legend. <laughs> no worries. I uh, it was a little bit stressful uh, going through the booking process, but uh, we got there in the end. Yeah. Oh, you did a great job. I was gutted when Wilson's prom fell through. and I was like, I have no idea where to go now. <laughs> what are we going to do with our lives? I'm so glad yeah. you you ran with that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a few families going up there. and Yeah, Lake Katani, little little lake there. I've never been there, by the way, so uh, I'm hoping it's hoping it's good. It's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be warm as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be a bit different. Um, yeah. To beat to, to summer by the beach, um, summer in the mountains. Yeah. Oh, it's stunning. Stunning countryside up there though. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it now. Yep. Yeah, me too. Yep. <laughs> now, what are, what are, what other activities, um, do you enjoy doing with the kids? Yeah, I guess they're both very different. Granger, um, Anything that I'm doing around the house, if I've got tools out or I'm doing some gardening, Granger's like right there, ready to help, you know, <laughs> on the ride on the lawnmower. And he, he really enjoys that, you know, you know, filling up the wheelbarrow with, with dirt and shoveling it and helping the garden. Ruby, um, what else have I been doing with Ruby? I've been trying to get her interested in chess, uh, play a bit of chess and... Yeah, she's uh, she's taking a bit of a liking to that, and and she's really liking uh, other board games and and games. Uh, and, like like which? What are the top favourites? Um, I think um, as they get a bit older, it gets a bit more enjoyable. You um, you know, sort of start off playing memory um, and um, and all the different incarnations of, of memory cards that we have. Yeah, but um, we've been playing Boggle with Ruby. Oh, I don't uh, know that one. How's that work? Uh, it's all these letters, these dice uh, that have letters on them. And you shake it up in this little box and then they all fall down. And there's maybe, it might be five by five, uh, 25 letters or something in there. And then you've got to just make words 
um, by um, looking at the at the, the words, the letters in the box, and you so can it's kind of go, like group Scrabble sort of thing. All yeah, the words, all the letters. You can go sort of diagonal or round corners and stuff like that, and it's. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting. You've got like three minutes and you really got to crank out at least <laughs> as many words as you can make. So it's it's sort of introducing her to her spelling and she's trying new things and, you know, sometimes she gets them wrong, but she's getting more and more words the more we play. Oh, um, great. Yeah, I've been playing Scattergrees with her as well. Um, but sort of... What's that one? Because I haven't come across that either. You haven't played Scattergrees, no. Richard? Wow, we'll have to have you around. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, how's it work? Oh, uh, that one I feel is, like I've been living in a box. <laughs> <laughs> Scattergrees, you've got like this funny shaped dice with like 20-odd letters on it and you roll the dice, whatever letter it is, say it's letter A, you'll have like a list of 10 things that you've got to come up with that start with letter A, like famous sports people or dinners. Ah, or, right, gotcha. You know, it's random, yeah. random things and you've got to come up with 12, 12 things that start with A. Wow! Yeah, that's quite good. You when know, it lands on Z, X or Z. Yeah, I think they haven't got. I think they might not have an X in there. <laughs> I think yeah. it doesn't have every letter in the, in the alphabet. Um, yeah, what else are we playing? Monopoly a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, There's probably a couple of. Oh, the other ones are cards. We've been playing cards a bit with Ruby. Any yeah. particular games that are working well? Uh, there's a game called Bugger My Neighbor that she's liking. <laughs> 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 which which we play actually as a family, so it's really good. Yeah, with Holly's parents in particular and her side of the family. Uh, often, if we go away with them, so it's really good. You know, introducing <laughs> the uh, the next generation into into the uh, the card game because uh, you can play that with sort of you know six or eight people. And yeah, uh, yeah. So she's feeling a bit more like a grown up, I guess. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 There's a few card games we've taught her patience. Um, so she started playing that the other day, which is a good one that she can play on her own. Yeah. Uh, and be quiet. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So yeah, we try and do something we, well, we try to do something every night after dinner, but it doesn't yeah, I was going to ask, happen. do you have a particular routine or something, but it's usually after dinner. Yeah. I mean, in a perfect world, it'd be like, come up, come up from work, you know, kids have a shower and everything, have dinner, uh, after dinner, do a bit of washing up and then you play a game Kids go to bed, read them a story. Um, but, you know, as uh, as life is at that time of night, it can be quite hectic <laughs> and things don't always run to schedule. So sometimes the game just one thing that gets dropped off, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. What would you say the hit rate is in, a, in an average week? Oh, it depends what week you're talking about, Richard. I think the, the last week hasn't been great because of my, <laughs> my yeah. knee. And, well, you, uh, you have had like reconstructive <laughs> surgery, so we'll let you off. Oh, you know, I'd be thinking if we could do that, uh, play a game two or three nights a week would be doing really well yep that's great though mm. I like it yeah and I mean because you mentioned chess earlier you, you've played a lot of chess haven't you yeah I spent a bit of time me and a friend in in Edinburgh uh, I was working weekends and spent a lot of time during the day uh, locked in our apartment chess battles yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, it was interesting actually uh, we were in Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival and there was a guy playing speed chess on the pavement for, um, he was the Jamaican chess champion or something. You come up and throw yeah. a dollar in the hat and, and uh, have a game against him. And we thought, oh yeah, we'll have a game against this guy. And <laughs> never played speed chess before. It was like three minutes uh, for the whole game oh, each or something. And he just starts firing away all these moves and it's a big crowd around. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and he totally smashed us off the board. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we we sometimes play timed games now. Yeah, um, oh yeah. great. Otherwise, they can sort of chess can go for hours and hours and hours. So yeah, yeah. If you put a time limit on it, sort of makes you make a forces you to make a decision. Yeah. yeah. And what would the time limit typically be? Uh, we play three minute games a bit, but that's quite fast. Wow. Um, but probably, you know, if we've got a bit of time, maybe ten or fifteen minutes each um, per per game. Cool, and you have one of those clocks. Yeah, yeah, we did have a clock. Um, yeah, now as as everything else is, you, there's chess timer on your phone that we sometimes yeah, use. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a couple other guys as well that we uh, sometimes get together with them and play a, play a bit of chess. Yeah, oh, once great. every few months or something. Yeah, nice. Have a just... tournament. <laughs> beer fueled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Normally have a beer, and I think Ryan made a trophy. Yeah. <laughs> Painted, awesome. painted a couple of chess pieces gold. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, it's great. And then I imagine Ruby and Granger will be uh, getting amongst that in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky enough to have the trophy on my mantelpiece for a little while and the kids thought it was unreal. <laughs> then, uh, I lost That's that. a champion. <laughs> I lost that last time we played. So they were like, oh. I read an interesting blog about a guy who uh, wanted to, you know, learn something with the kids and he thought chess would be wonderful so he went to this chess instructor with his daughter and they were having lessons every week you know she started from zero and he hadn't played chess for like 15 years and um and within about six months she was wiping the floor with him and he's like this is ridiculous mm. like we started the same time we've gone to all the same lessons she is just trancing me and um yeah he was just finding it remarkable just how quickly you know, his daughter was adapting and, and sort of really getting into chess. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're like a sponge, I guess, and their brains seem so so malleable, so flexible, you know, to, you know, pick up some of this new stuff. Take things on board. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah it's a bit scary. Yeah. Now, um, you touched on your parents, obviously, that some of the influence they've had on you. Are there any other people that have been almost like mentors for you or any any books or anything like that that have really inspired you as a parent? Yeah, I guess I look to friends a lot and see what they're doing with their kids. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd say a lot, there's a few mates that are probably big influences on on me, um, you know, getting out and, and trying new things and hearing what they're doing, you know. Have they generally got older kids? Uh, yeah, some, uh, some are a similar age, actually. Probably most that I'm thinking of are a similar age, yeah. Um, yeah I've got one mate, for example, uh, I think I was chatting to him a little while back and it was like 10 o'clock in the morning or something. I just got out of bed and had some breakfast and a bit of a lazy Saturday. I'm like, hey, what have you been up to, Matt? And he's like, oh, got up for a surf, went for a surf and then took the kids into swimming lessons and there's a skateboard next to the swimming lessons. So the kids went skating and then I've been home doing some stuff on the house and I went far out, it's like 10 o'clock. <laughs> I need to pull my finger out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Feeling a bit behind the curve yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. wow that's uh yeah that's that's pretty good yeah yeah so i guess um probably mates are, are probably the biggest influence that i've got in terms of other role models that i look to uh as, as parents as well as my own my own dad yeah um yeah as far as books and and stuff i guess um i try to listen to a few podcasts on parenting sort of stuff um it's not a lot of books that i've read about parenting but a couple that come to mind, there's one called Closer to the Ground about a guy living in an island off Seattle 
Um, and it was sort of all about him teaching the kids to fish and catch their own food and foraging, looking for mushrooms and, you know, appreciating nature. Yeah. And and, um, and sharing that with their kids and, you know, that bringing up their kids with that whole sort of philosophy. Um, yeah, so um, that was a book that I read recently that I, I quite enjoyed. It's um, called Closer to the Ground. Closer to the Ground, yeah, yeah. It's uh, published by Patagonia Books, I think. Right, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, so that's a that's a good one. I've also read the Barefoot Investor for yeah, families. Scott Pape. Um, Scott Pape. Yeah, I found that. Um, yeah, the, I read the first book, and then uh, my dad bought me the one for families actually, and said you should read this. So it's got some really good ideas for, you know, um, engaging with kids, and he sort of goes a bit outside of his sort of exp- you know area of expertise in terms of finance, and talks about other stuff. Um, yeah, about you know preparing kids for for being an adult, which is um, yeah, yeah quite interesting. So I'd recommend that book. Yeah, I, I read it as well, and I love the scene where he says you've got to make it emotive, and so they literally get the the blender, put it on the kitchen table, <laughs> credit card, and yeah. they put the credit cards in after they pay them off because they've yeah. they've shown the kids the bills and yes. the charges that the credit cards have accrued, yeah. and they've gone. This is ridiculous. This is why we are getting rid of these. We've yeah. paid them down and we're going to destroy them. And they get the kids to press the button on the on the blender yeah. full of credit cards and just completely like mash up the credit cards and get the kids to swear that they will never, ever get a credit yeah. card. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's pretty visceral. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it's a good lesson and, and one that they'll remember. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think just stuff like that, you know, it gets you thinking on a bit of a tangent if there's other lessons that you can learn for kids how you can make it yeah. stick how make those memories stick definitely and and we took the the three jars from scott pape as well the barefoot investor yes you know the save give and spend yes and that's been working really well yeah you know whereas i, I do think with a with a savings jar you you're sort of teaching the kid to save and then they don't really get the reward of spending or if they spend, they feel bad because they've taken it out of their savings. And I like that separation where they go, no, I've got my savings jar and that's just not for dipping into. And I've got my spend jar and that's the fun jar. And they get to choose the allocation, but they have to put a bit of money each week into each of the jars. And the give one is the one that we haven't really got around to utilizing yet. They've been putting money into it. I just haven't come across a... A, yeah. a way to actually actualize that and i think some of the examples he comes up with is the uh, kids buying food at a food uh, supermarket to donate to the food bank yeah you know or things like that yeah. have you had any thoughts on on that yeah it's funny you say that um holly actually has been a big driver of this one um yeah she's last few years we've done this uh thing called operation christmas child basically you buy a shoe box and think you uh, don't know what the budget is it might be 40 bucks or 50 bucks or something and um basically you can go and buy toys pencils whatever it might be um for example i think ruby was buying for a seven-year-old child um in asia somewhere that's less well off than what we are here in australia you fill the box with toys and stuff and you send it off in operation christmas child and that's like a christmas present so i think we've done one year i think they sent them off to kids in africa um, but the last couple of years it's been to kids in Asia. So what we've done this year is got money that the kids have got in their give jar and got them to say, hey, let's um, let's put that towards this. And, yeah, it's quite good because it really engages the kids in, 
you know, what do you think a kid would like yeah. to play with in another country that, you know, might not be getting any Christmas presents this year? And, uh, yeah, I think it, it gives them – it's pretty rewarding, I think, for them to see see that going. And there's been a couple of videos that we've watched where you've got, like, a room full of kids getting their presents in, you know. They might and opening be, them up. Opening them up and there's – yeah, we've seen one where they're somewhere in Africa and the kids are just – so happy and screaming and there's paper flying everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's really, um, really rewarding. But, um, yeah, I think I've got to th- thank Holly for, for driving that. It's, um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. Yeah. Ah, awesome. Yeah, I've got to, I'll, I'll check into that. I think Sarah talked about it earlier in the year. So it's something that we haven't done. Yeah. But, um, yeah, if you think that the kids are enjoying it. Mm, we've got the boxes inside, actually. I think end of October is the... The deadline to get them sent off, so there's like a couple of days. Yeah, we've got to get labels printed and okay. get them in the post. So <laughs> let's get amongst it. <laughs> if you want to do it, you're going to get, get, get it. Get in quick. Mm. Now, um, one of the things that, like, when I first met you, you have been like a steady voice in the community around environmental issues as well. Now, because uh, you're um, an active member of Skeg, the Surf Coast Energy Group, for some time, can you tell us a bit about the the work you've done there and why? Yeah, I guess we can sort of go back to when I was living overseas. Uh, I guess I was working uh, odd jobs and having a great time traveling, uh, but I sort of got the feeling that I wanted to come back and have a bit more direction in my life. And um, actually, it sort of all started, um, I was sort of traveling over to Western Australia on my way back to Edinburgh. And um, yeah, I was camping out in Cactus for a couple of weeks with, I met this guy who's actually from Torquay. He's talking about doing a renewable energy course. And he was a builder or something. And I thought, yeah, that, that sounds like something that's got a future, you know. Uh, this would have been 2005 or something. And I sort of parked that in the memory bank and went back to Edinburgh, spent another year or so traveling. And, yeah, I eventually decided I want to come back. And, and that was sort of the career path I wanted to take. I thought, you know, it's doing something good for the environment. It's something that's giving back a bit to the community and it's um, it's an industry that's going to be growing so there's actually going to, I might be able to get paid for it, you know. <laughs> Crazy. Um, <laughs> so I thought, yeah, this is fantastic. It's something I'm interested in and I went and started a course in renewable energy and about the same time, um, Graham Stockton uh, was they were proposing a community-owned wind farm, I think at the time, and a few people got together and formed SCAG, uh, Surf Coast Energy Group. And I jumped on the committee that really just trying to immerse myself in anything about renewables and sustainability at the time. And, uh, yeah, I think I was on the committee for maybe eight or nine years and served a couple of years as the, as the president. And, um, yeah, I was really advocating for good policy from all levels of government in this sky, in this space, you know, education around, you know, climate change action, um, positive action on climate change, you know, renewable energy, sustainable living can be quite a broad, broad topic though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of, uh, uh, little, uh, side tracks you can go, go down. Um, yeah, but I, I found it quite, quite rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Well, but you're squarely in the solar industry now, aren't you? Cause you work on, uh, off grid systems. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, after doing a course in renewables, I, I got a job working for a solar company back in 2008. And yeah, since then, I've run my own business for a few years and 
probably the last three years I've been working for a company we do off-grid solar power systems so for people that don't have any power connected uh, quite often they're building a house and it's going to be very expensive to get power lines on the site so we'll come in and basically put in a power system for them solar batteries backup generator normally which is it's pretty amazing isn't it it's almost like the holy grail of you know being self-sufficient with your, your energy requirements yeah yeah it's um i'm not off grid here we've got solar on the roof but uh you know maybe at some stage in the future you know if if we're buying a, a place where the power's you know going to be expensive to connect we, we probably look at at doing uh going off grid and i think the a lot of people like the idea of it because it gives them that independence uh, a lot of people hate electricity companies because they've been treated badly by them for the last 10 15 years and the the idea of not having to deal with them at all is it's pretty attractive pretty so, compelling <laughs> yeah so quite often when you talk to people about off-grid um that really is something that you know the self-sufficient independence side of things really uh, uh is something that's attractive but uh, it can be pretty expensive to take a house off-grid um you know fairly typically 40 to sixty thousand dollars yeah. for a house so it's probably not uh, economic decision for people that have grid connection but a lot of houses it will cost like upwards of 30 grand just to get connected to the grid wouldn't it yeah i think a lot of our customers uh 50 to a hundred thousand dollar connection cost to bring power lines onto site so in that case there's a pretty good economic argument to put in solar and batteries <laughs> that's just a plug-in for the first time yeah wow. yeah um there's pros and cons i guess you you're weighing up you know do i spend money on i, I often say to people you want to spend somewhat you want to spend sixty thousand dollars on upgrading someone else's infrastructure yeah you know, and then you're going to buy power from them. You know, <laughs> just rub salt rate. into the wound. <laughs> or you could buy an off-grid system, you know, uh, it's an asset that you're going to own. And, uh, you know, yeah, at some stage in the future, you may need to replace the batteries and there's some maintenance and diesel costs probably associated with running the system. But, you know, I think um, a lot of the people are making that decision and making the decision because it's probably economically better and, I guess from a reliability perspective, a modern off-grid, off-grid system is probably more reliable than what people are going to get if they connect to power around the fringe of the grid yeah. anyway. So, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty interesting space to, to be in. You can yeah. see some cool houses and stuff being built out in, yeah, in the back blocks. I yep. can imagine. Yeah. And what do you see in the way of um, upcoming technology? Like do you think the, the sort of the, the big disruption is coming where solar is – basically going to undercut coal pretty much yeah i think i mean solar is already a lot cheaper to to build than than coal-fired power and and wind um is also very cheap so renewables are very cheap to to build now um at large scale i guess the the tricky bit is coal-fired power is um, what they call dispatchable power or you know has been referred to as base load probably not such a good way to describe it i don't think but um i think what they're looking for now is a grid that's more flexible uh, and you know part of what they require is dispatchability so renewables wind and solar pretty much generates when there's sun or when there's wind you can't really control when that happens but you need to supplement that with battery storage pumped hydro maybe demand management where you can give incentives to people to use their electricity when there's excess yeah. available and give them price signals for that. So I think 
you know, managing the the transition from, you know, having lots of coal in the grid to eventually phasing that out is is going to be the tricky bit. And I think the problem at the moment is the last 10 years, you know, the government's federal government in Australia is really dilly-dallied and they don't really have a good plan for for that transition. So that's really going to cost us, I think, in, in the long run. Yeah, we could have could have done it cheaper if we had a plan better. Yeah. Do you see any sparks in the the industry, the renewables industry, though, that's almost looking internationally as Australia? Yeah, well, I think I was talking to you earlier about a project in northwest, uh, west, uh, Western Australia, where they're looking at putting in, I think it's nine gigawatts of solar and, and wind. And I think um, is it Mike Cannon-Brooks, one of the those entrepreneurial sort of guys, is looking at investing in um, a big DC cable that connects to Indonesia and, and onto Asia and talking about, you know, we've got abundance of renewable energy, you know, resources in Australia, but being able to export that to internationally is something that's pretty exciting, I think. So, you know, some of these sort of projects uh, I think could help to guide, you know, where the future goes for, for Australia in this space. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really nice when you see that there's some – very compelling sort of visions for what can be achieved. I think um, 2040 was one of those films that put together a great sort of showcase of technologies that are currently available now that can actually work towards an overall solution by 2040. And, um, and I think that's really good to keep in mind that, you know, we're not still waiting to invent stuff. We can actually do a lot of the stuff we need to do with the technology we currently have. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the movie yeah, Richard, but I'm, I'd really like to, to see it. I think I'm um, really supportive of any sort of action-based initiatives there that sort of show the pathway and the vision towards, you know, how to solve this problem um, rather than dwelling on the negative side of, of the impacts of climate change. I think we need to be solutions-focused. Yeah, and, and, and I think people need to be shown away. Like they just, yeah, this is what we need to do. It's going to take us 25 years to get there and there's going to be a few different turns along the road. You know, it's not just going from black to white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, certainly you've got to have someone there showing a vision to visualise it before it's going to happen. Obviously, we don't always visualise exactly how the end's going to turn out. But and we're not good at long-term <laughs> sort of uh, exactly. thinking either. <laughs> yeah, but I think if you can get the ball rolling and have some sort of guide or some roadmap that you can work towards, that you can make adjustments along the way. But at the moment, I feel like in Australia and maybe around the world at least with some of the stuff that's going on, you know, we don't really have a, a good map to to guide us. Yeah. The film was actually really interesting because the um, it was talking about the, the filmmakers, uh, Damon, uh, I can't remember his last name, so, da so Damon's daughter and sort of showing her in the future based on the things that he was implementing now or what we can implement now. So it was really emotive as well. So pretty uh, pretty good way of telling a story, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely keen to maybe rent it out and uh, watch it with the kids. Good for yeah. the kids. Yeah. Well, it was great. We took ours to the cinema, yeah. and the youngest one was running around underneath <laughs> the uh, the stand. And I was just like, yeah, that's my kid. Yeah. Yep, that's the one banging away down there. Yep. <laughs> we might we might watch it in the comfort of our home. <laughs> I think that would probably be better. <laughs> but uh, Annie really took took to it, and, and we had a really good chat on the way home about stuff, and and it wasn't depressing. It was 
you know, not so much doom and gloom, but wow, there's some pretty cool stuff we can do. I mean, you look at electric cars now and, and how, okay, we're a long way off them being ubiquitous, but as soon as people start having electric cars sat next to their house, that's essentially a huge battery pack. And mm. we don't drive 400 kilometers every day. Yeah. So there's yeah. some exciting stuff that can start to happen there as well to offset that, you know, solar usage. Yeah, I think there's some interesting stuff there, utilizing the, the car batteries to store energy and dispatch them when they're not being used. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's a fast-moving space. Um, yeah, the solar, electric cars, uh, batteries, all that sort of stuff. It's moving very quickly, I think. Yeah. And, sorry? I was just going to say, in 10 years' time, I think, yeah. I mean, I find if I if I was to step out of the our industry for maybe a couple of months, you know, all new products coming in and new characteristics, new new what new features, the way that products work. You know, I, I think, you know, I get left behind in, in a couple of months. So in, in 10 <laughs> years' time, I think there's going to be a lot of changes. Yeah. Yeah, exciting times. Yeah. I think, well, actually, one of the things with electric cars uh, is just they drive so much better. Like having been in a pre, uh, sort of, I was going to say Prius, but the, the Tesla. Yeah. Like I was blown away with how much fun they are. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that is really speaking volumes for it. Is you get in the car and you're not sacrificing anything really because you only drive to Sydney once every five years. Yeah. Um, but it was fun. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the the talk of electric cars is just insane. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to the uh, Elon Musk interview the other day with uh, <laughs> Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. <laughs> I think they were talking about the farting seats or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a special feature in the car and he was just saying you know you've got to make it fun you've got to make it something that people want to buy you've got to make it better yeah the insanity insane insanity button or something. <laughs> yeah, Ins- yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 it's uh, they seem uh pretty crazy hey uh some of the things they're doing but uh yeah i think it's uh it's great great what he's doing for you know as someone with a vision and and trying to follow through and, and make the place uh make the world a better place that's but, right and well, because he talks about setting up the boring company as well, doesn't he? Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> great, great name for a business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but um, I, I we've uh, gone off on a tangent away <laughs> from parenting there. Yeah. But um, one of the things I really wanted to um, ask you as well, Aaron, is what advice do you think you would give yourself when you first had Ruby and Granger, or maybe you know yeah. five years in, or you know. Yeah, advice. It's a it's a good one. Um, I think what I mentioned before, you know, staying calm, try not to yell at the kids. You know, you get a better response from them if you can talk to them in a in a calm manner that rather than yelling. They tend to yell at a kid, and they, you know, they're going to retaliate, and it just escalates into you know something that's more difficult to manage. So that's probably one thing. Um, the other thing I've been doing a bit recently with with Ruby. Um, is uh, just sort of asking her um, when when I ask her to do something, give a reason. So using the word because, you know, can you turn the light off when you moved out of that room? Because and then giving giving a reason for it. And uh, I think if you can not just say no, don't do that, but then say why you shouldn't do that. I think it makes it a lot more likely that they're going to go on and, uh, you know, remember it because you've given them a, a bit of a story that goes alongside it. Yeah. So, uh, can you give us an example? So with the lights? 
Um, well, I think there's a famous experiment that was done in the in the seventies, the photocopy photocopier experiment. I don't know if you heard about that. That um, no, doesn't ring a bell. I think uh, basically um, what they did is there was a people lining up to use a, a communal photocopier, and basically they oh yes, I did. Yeah, had someone <laughs> come up and say, um, "Can I push in here? I'm in a hurry," and and they wanted to use the the photocopier. And they had three different scenarios. I think one was, can I just, can I use a photocopier, please? I'm in a, um, in a hurry. Um, no. The first one was, can I just use the photocopier? Um, I'm, and I think they, uh, the chances of them letting you in were very, uh, very low. Um, but then there was two. There was one, the next one was, can I please use the photocopier um, because I'm running late? And, uh, that was much higher. But then they, they tried another one that said, can I please use the photocopier because I need to copy some papers? It was sort of a, <laughs> a, a, a reason that didn't really make a lot of sense. But yeah. even, even that, just using because um, and, and giving some sort of explanation of why, uh, I think it pushed both of those um, uh, outcomes up to in the 90% oh, wow. that people would respond, whereas the other one was with no reason was down at 50%. Yeah. So. So just tagging that that reason at the end of a request yeah, can make yeah. a, a big difference. Yeah, yeah, because, um, yeah, just giving them a reason to to do what you're requesting of them, I think, is is probably some advice I'd, I'd give to people. Um, yeah. Nice. Okay. Now, um, we can't forget Holly. I mean, you mentioned Holly earlier, uh, you know, taking the lead with the Barefoot Investor stuff, but um, what sort of things would you say um, – uh, Holly's superpowers in looking after the kids as well. Yeah, she's she's got some great superpowers. You know, pretty much running our whole household. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, there's she she does a lot of the um, um, just general management of day to day, remembering stuff. There's a lot of stuff that she keeps in her head that I don't know how how she does it, <laughs> but you know, just things that are going on at school you know, um, organizing dinner, dinners for the week, um, you know, chores around the house and, and generally I'm trying to chip in where I can, but, um, I feel like I'm often working around the, the fringes of, of, uh, you know, what's required, um, you know, cooking and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I think she's, um, yeah, she's a great role model for the kids. I think she's, she's a really good people person and Holly, she loves, um, relationships and she values them a lot. So she catches up with her friends uh, from Warrnambool, university friends. She keeps in touch really well with those. And I think um, it's really good to, for the kids to be able to see, you know, how much she values that. And and I think through food as well, uh, you know, having dinner parties and people around and, and sharing food with other people, you know, it's a, it's a great way to to catch up and, and, and communicate and socialize with people. So I think, you know, the kids see that and, uh, it's a really great example for them. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, you guys seem to be doing a great job, Aaron. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Richard. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, look forward to, um, catching up with you guys uh, and going on holiday again. Cause that was, uh, it just, the kids being the same age is just so good yeah. on holiday. Like yeah. they're off sort of managing or a couple of parents can go off, 
and then the other parents can actually either concentrate on individual kids or whatever it's just so much more relaxing yeah for everyone yeah it's great and they get a bit more freedom too you know to explore the boundaries and go off and do what they want to do like when we're at wilson's prom they would be off running around in the sand dunes and stuff and 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 having fun yeah and pick that pick the group they want to hang out with for the day yeah yeah there are several sort of things going on between the the six families it's great yep yeah learning about you know relationships with others and yeah Yep, dealing with uh, the problems that come up and <laughs> that sort of thing. It's it's really good to to watch and uh, yeah, I I really love those sort of experiences where you actually get a chance to sit down and have a conversation. Which often uh, an actual conversation. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go to a birthday party and you might see some friends, but you know, it's in between. You know, kids tugging at your leg or <laughs> cake. Yeah, cake, and yeah, it seems to be a very fleeting uh, and and not fo- not concentrating on the the person as well. It's yeah. so hard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think the camping experience you sort of get beyond that uh, initial. Uh, how, how's it going? How's work going? How's your family going? Into a bit more deeper conversation, which I think is is something that I missed a bit. I guess when once you have kids and yeah, very time intensive. Um, yeah yeah i totally agree yeah yeah <laughs> well it's been brilliant having this chat aaron i uh, really appreciate it as um is there a way anyone could reach out to you if they want to have a chat yeah i guess uh i'm on facebook i'm on instagram if people want to contact me through there um yeah yeah look me up aaron ludus yeah brilliant well thanks ever so much for your time and your your insights aaron it's been a pleasure and uh look forward to catching up with you again soon yeah, great, Richard. Thanks for having me on. It's been it's been fun. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Aaron. Now, before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to give the show a review on whatever platform you consume your podcasts on, be that iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or one of the others. I really love hearing that people are enjoying the show, and to be honest, it gives me a massive buzz. Also, if you can think of anyone that would appreciate the podcast, if you could share it with them, that would also be a massive help too. If you have any questions or want to reach out to me, my email is rich at thedadmindset.com. Hope you have a great week and in the meantime, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs> <laughs>